Hello, everyone. I uh, was excited to come back to Florida Road because Kloof is colder. And I don't do well with the cold, as you can see. I'm like the only person in here wearing a jacket. But I am an African, and I'm made for heat. It actually it makes me feel a little bit Christmassy with all this cold. It feels like there could be frost somewhere. Um, we actually coming up to go. Is anyone here starting to feel Christmassy? It's a question that Michael McIntyre asked people. You start to feel Christmassy when you notice, oh, it feels like Christmas. Um, it's the time of presents, unless you're an adult, it seems. Uh, did you notice that? Like when you're a kid, like presents was a big deal, and then you became an adult, and it's like this year we're only buying Christmas presents for the kids, and you're like, awesome, that's great. I'll wait till my birthday. Lucky it's only March. So the third, if you're taking notes. Um, but it's also the time of food, you know, gammon and all that stuff. You don't have to count calories at Christmas. In fact, it's a sin. No, it's on the Bible. Um, but it's awesome. But it is amazing that as you get older, there's fewer and fewer surprises as life goes on. Not just around Christmas, but really life in general. And, you know, our kind of surprise when you get older is like when load shedding ends early. You're like, oh, that's awesome. I never saw it coming. It's like, or if there's load shedding and it wasn't scheduled, and then you're like, come on, what's going on? Is it a fault? Is it, you know, and then you start WhatsApping people. Um, but uh, do you remember those surprises around Christmas when you were a kid? Like the, the sense of anticipation and the excitement. I mean, you had no responsibility to buy anyone anything, which was awesome. Like you didn't have to fight through the rush of the shops to buy stuff for people. You just got presents. That's amazing. You had no responsibility to make any food. You just ate it. It was awesome. And um, remember the excitement of Santa Claus? Like, like a, an overweight man who takes to climbing down narrow chimneys. It doesn't make sense, but anyway. Um, to avoid the B and E charge, you know, breaking and entering. It's not breaking anything; it's just entering. But of course, who's ever going to press charges against Santa Claus? Because then you're not going to get any presents next year. So he had a free pass. Or like the reindeer that had like a really bad rash on his nose, so that it glowed red hot, like Chernobyl vibes. You know, it's like, like where you been? You know, where, where you been with that nose, Mr. Rudolph? Uh, or the mistletoe. Do you ever remember the mistletoe? They put it up, and the whole thing is that if you were under the mistletoe with someone, then you had to kiss. It was the, this little Christmas tradition that allowed sexual harassment within the extended family. <laughs> it's like, like, do you remember what it was like getting trapped under the mistletoe, mistletoe with that one aunt? You're like, ah. <laughs> it's like Aunt Gertrude loved it, and I didn't. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, that's a, a slightly cynical view of, uh, anyway, it's my gift, you know. That's uh, what I bring to the table. So, but, but the truth is, is that uh, Christmas is really the time of gifts. And, and as a kid, there was this, this amazing thing, the sense of anticipation for gifts. And that's why they wrap gifts. Because imagine if, if um, Santa Claus or mom and dad, whoever's listening, um, they gave you a gift. And it was, you know, like it would wait underneath the Christmas tree. But imagine if it wasn't wrapped. They'd be like, ah, it's not the same. That's, that's why we wrap presents, because it's a mystery, and it's a sense of, uh, of the unseen gift. Like, what is it? And re remember what it was like, because you used to, like, when no one was watching, you used to go, like, what is it? You know, you try and work it out. And, uh, and I always remember being a bit disappointed when I managed to work it out, because it wasn't the same as opening something and 
getting that gift. And it's the unseen gift. Is there something mesmerizing? You know it's for you. You know you're going to have it, but you don't know what it is. And so your, your brain works and, and it fills in the blanks. And obviously by the time you finish, like I was driving a Ferrari, but even though the gift was this big. But it, it was amazing because it builds excitement. And that's much the way that we have an unseen gift that every single believer you're entitled to. It's yours in Jesus Christ. And we're actually going to, what we're doing this year is we're tying Christmas and the idea of the unseen gift with the person of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is all over the Christmas story um, and he's all over our story. And the truth is, is he's a gift that is promised to every believer and in fact, it was promised 800 years before Christ. Like, forget waiting a week, seeing your present there. They, they waited 800 years. And then we get to have an experience of this gift. And uh, the promise is from Joel, chapter 2, 28 to 29. It says, Then after doing all those things, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on servants, men and women alike. You've got to understand, when Joel was giving this promise that there's this unseen gift coming, there's this day coming when the Holy Spirit will be poured out on everyone, in that day, only a very select few people had access to the Holy Spirit. Prophets. And it came like a package deal, because generally speaking, the prophets like were a little bit weird, like John the Baptist was in the desert with camel hair clothing, not probably the comfiest if you've ever met a camel, or, or they were persecuted or they lived in weird places, and so there was like this package deal, but he's saying the day's coming when everyone is going to have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be a crazy living in the desert prophet to have the Holy Spirit. You're going to have it, men and women, educated, uneducated, rich, poor, Black, white, single, married, divorced, those who've made a hack of their life and come to Jesus. doesn't matter who you are. Oh, sorry, it was divorced, comma, those who made a hack of their life. Sorry, I don't want to... Because sometimes there's a good reason to get divorced. I just realized for a divorced person, they might have heard that in a different way. So I just want to clarify what I was saying. Otherwise, you say, I'll show you an unseen gift. So I just want to... It was like actually more like a semicolon. You, you understand where I'm going. So who is this Holy Spirit? Because I, I find in the, there's a lot of confusion around the person of the Holy Spirit. And the truth is that he's the member of the Trinity. So this, the Trinity is this really uh, simple theological concept where God is, th <laughs> joking, uh, three persons in one. And God is one, but he's three. And each of those three is fully God, but... They're different. They're not the same. Anyway, I could be here for three weeks. Um, but the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. Sometimes I say, well, uh, referring to the Holy Spirit, that people refer to him as an it. And, and I understand why it's difficult, because we get a father, right? Because God the Father, that's kind of simple. Like, we understand the concept of father. God the Son, we, we get that. But God the Holy Spirit, it seems a little bit mysterious, and like in the, new, in the King James Version of 1611, it was translated the Holy Ghost. So like that's even more weird for us, you know? We're like, what's going on here? So there's a, a Christian version of Casper. 
It's friendlier than your average Casper. So who is this Holy Spirit? And that's really what we're going to discover today. Who is he? Because the truth is you're called to have a relationship with him. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. See, you might not notice this, but right in the creation story, in the very first three verses, the Trinity is revealed. In the beginning, God, that's God the Father. He's the head of the Godhead. He's the first person of the Trinity. And it says, the earth was formless and void. And it said, the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. That's why I like being in the ocean and spearfishing, because that's where God is. I'm joking, but like, I'm just trying to say like I'm a spiritual, you know, spear fisherman. Um, but, but God is, is hovering there over the waters. And then it says, then God said, let there be light. And you might not know this, but in the Gospel of John, it starts in the exact same way like this. He, John is mirroring the beginning of Genesis. And he says, in the beginning was God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was created was created through the Word. So, and then it says, and that Word was Jesus, in verse 14. And so what he's saying is that Jesus is the Word of God, the spoken Word of God. And that's why everything that was created was created through Jesus, because everything that was created was created through the spoken Word of God. So when you tie 1 John with Genesis 1, or John chapter 1 with Genesis chapter 1, what you see is in the very act of creation, the, the, the Trinity is present. And you might not know this, but throughout Scripture, again and again and again, whenever God does something pretty cool, the whole Trinity is seen. In the creation story, in the baptism of Jesus, there's Jesus, he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son, who brings me, with whom I'm well pleased, and he brings me great joy. This is my Son whom I love, who brings me great joy. That was it. In the act of prayer, you know every time you pray, we're taught to pray our Father and we pray through the means of Jesus in the name of Jesus. In other words, the only means that we have access to the Father is through the work of Jesus and we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. So your prayer life is the Trinity and you cooperating. When it comes to uh, the Holy Spirit being given to us, Jesus says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to my Father. When I go to the Father, John chapter 14, I'll send the Spirit to you. In that act, the whole trinity is involved. In salvation, Jesus said, I've come to bring you to the Father. I've come to show you the way to the Father. And so we come to the Father by faith in the Son and because the Holy Spirit draws us and gives us new birth, John chapter 3. Every part of God's work, you see the whole trinity involved with us. But for thousands of years, it wasn't like this. It was a revelation of God, and a few people had access to the Holy Spirit. But a day was coming when there was this gift of the Holy Spirit that was going to be given to everyone. In Galatians 5, 22 to 23, it gives us a clue to what he's like. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What he's saying is that when you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, that's what happens in your life. 
You get more love, you get more joy. Anyone want more love and joy and peace? Anyone want more long-suffering? Patience. Long-suffering sounds bad. Patience. More kindness, more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, more self-control, not because you're working at it, just because you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is you're going to have this relationship with the Holy Spirit, and this is what's going to flow out of you. Have you ever noticed that when you're with certain people, your behavior kind of changes because who they are rubs off on you? Ever notice that? You spend time with, with, with someone that's complaining all the time, and what happens? Your, your thoughts start to get negative. Or do you have that one friend that when you're with that one friend, you know you, you're going to have to be on your best behavior because they've got the tendency to hook you into mischievous... Like if you go to a pub, it's just... You know what I'm saying? Like there's that one person where it's just like... Or suddenly your, 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 your humor becomes slightly more mischievous and cutting. Anyone know that? Because you kind of egg each other on. You know what I'm talking about? Because we're not the same person when we're with, the, when we're with different people, different parts that they, they draw out different parts of who we are. And the amazing thing is, what he's saying is that when you're in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, this is what's going to come out of you. When I hang out with my older brother, I get philosophical. When I hang out with my younger brother, I get mischievous. When I hang out with my dad, I get really mischievous. Because who they are rubs off on me. And when you've got a relationship with the Holy Spirit, when you hang out with the Holy Spirit, who he is rubs off on you. Just being around him, just being around him, just being connected to him. And this stuff starts to emerge out of your life. You know, I don't have to work hard with different people, to the different parts of who I am to come out. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. We just have a relationship with Him. And so if you want more of these things, just have a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Now the truth is, is that for lots of us, we, we can have a misconception of the Holy Spirit. Anyone heard the, the statement, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin? Anyone heard of that? The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin which is not exactly true from the Scriptures. And I'm going to prove it to you today. And why this is important is because if you're hanging out with someone who's pointing out your faults all the time, you're not going to want to hang out with them. If you had a friend who kept on going, oh, you did that thing wrong, oh, are, you sure that's the, are you sure that's the best decision? If you had a friend who was constantly doing that to you, would you want to hang out with them? And I actually find a lot of people don't really want to hang out with the Holy Spirit because they think he's there to make them feel bad. And he's not. And I'll show you where they get this belief from that the Holy Spirit is there to convict you of sin. John chapter 16, verse 5. This is Jesus teaching. He says, But now I am going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. The amazing thing here is that Jesus hung out with the disciples for three years and, and imagine being with Jesus all the time. Like if you're hungry, he can work some magic with some fish and bread. There's a storm going on, he can calm it. Would have been handy in the last week. There was, 
any kind of question or mystery of the kingdom, if you're sick, if someone you love is sick or, or you need healing, like Jesus is your guy, and yet Jesus says, it's better for you that, I'm, that I leave. Because if I don't leave, I can't send the Holy Spirit, but if I leave, I'll send the Spirit to you. In other words, the disciples with the Holy Spirit were better off than the disciples with Jesus. You see, we always think the disciples had one up on us, but a disciple with the Holy Spirit is better off than a disciple living and walking with Jesus because Jesus could only ever be in one place at one time. And the Holy Spirit's always with us, not just with us, within us. You know how Jesus worked his miracles? By the Holy Spirit. Do you know how he raised the dead? By the Holy Spirit. Do you know how he taught with authority? By the Holy Spirit. And he's available to us. Verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin. Ha ha, you see, he's there to convict us of sin. Wait, wait. Convicts the world of its sin and of God's righteousness. Yeah, he's showing you how righteous God is. Your sin, his righteousness, and the coming judgment. Now I really want to hang out with him. Woo, joking. But then he... He says, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. So what he says is he convicts the world of its sin. Now we know that when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Right? So does that refer to a believer? Does that refer to a believer? You're unconvinced. No. It's not talking about believers. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this isn't about you. And then more than that, it defines what the sin is. He will convict the world of its sin. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. So the Holy Spirit is there saying, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. He's convincing us. He's convincing people to believe in Jesus. That's what he's there to do. He's not pointing out, hey, but you, 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 you did that. But what's your motivation there? What's going on there? And then he says, righteousness is available to who? Believers, Christians. Because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. So he's there to convict us, A, that God is righteous, and righteousness is available to you. Do you understand that? He's going, Pete, you're righteous in Jesus Christ. You're righteous in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, I need much more convincing that I'm righteous in Jesus than I, I sin. Convincing me that I'm a sinner is easy. I've got a reminder every day. But the Holy Spirit is there to convince me. You're righteous in Jesus Christ. You're righteous in Jesus Christ. You're righteous in Jesus Christ. Judgment, here it is, will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. How many of you need to be convinced that your enemy, the devil, has actually been judged and defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ, and so you can overcome him? See, this is such a different picture than what I got growing up. I had this picture that here's the Holy Spirit, you know, good angel, bad angel. Here's the devil, here's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is trying to tell me, you don't do that wrong, don't do that wrong. And the devil's trying to tell me, do that wrong, do that wrong. And I'm fighting, but the devil, I mean, the, the Holy Spirit is not there to convince you that you're a sinner. He's there to convince you 
Believe in Jesus. Righteousness is available. Your enemy has been judged. You have the victory. Walk in it. That is such a different picture. And that's why he uses the word advocate here. You see, we think an advocate is someone that trials someone in the courts of law. We think an advocate, the Holy Spirit is an advocate that is trying us, pointing out that we're wrong, but the Holy Spirit is an advocate that's there fighting for us, showing us that we are right in Jesus Christ. He's fighting for us, not with us. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. In other words, he's saying the Holy Spirit, disciples, the Holy Spirit will continue the conversation I've begun with you. And you know that conversation hasn't ended for 2,000 years. You can hear the voice of Jesus just like the disciples did. You know, the disciples mostly, we, again, we think the disciples had one up on us because they got to hear Jesus actually teaching. Most of the time they came away and they went, Jesus, what did you mean? What did you mean? And then he had to explain it to them. And a lot of times the Bible says is that when the Holy Spirit came or when Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came, then they understood what he meant. So Jesus speaking verbally to the disciples did not help them understand, but the Holy Spirit in them speaking to them did. Do you understand that you've got the same privilege waiting for you? This gift of the Holy Spirit, unseen, that you can unwrap and enjoy? And that word translated advocate here, sometimes it's translated comforter, sometimes it's translated um, counselor or helper. Because it comes from the Greek word parakletos, and you can't always translate a single Greek word into a single English word. Just like, try and use a single English word to translate chutful. You just can't. Like, it, nothing will express, because Afrikaans is an expressive language. Like, if, seriously, if you're angry, pick Afrikaans. English is about subtleties and nuances and a play on words. Afrikaans is literal. It's just like a club. <laughs> it's beautiful. And this Greek word, parakletos, can't be translated into a single English word. But what it means is para, you know like where we get parallel, two things running next to each other? Para means the Holy Spirit, kletos, the one that walks beside us throughout life. It's like having the person of Jesus with you 24-7. When we learn to hear his voice, when we learn to sense his nearness, when we learn to trust him that he's actually going to lead us and guide us, and more than just walking beside us, he lives within us. So he doesn't just guide us, he also empowers us to do what he wants. He shows us where to go and he gives us the ability to go there. Anyone want someone like that? Let me tell you, you can pay a lot of money for a counselor. That is, and the counselors are wonderful. Don't get me wrong. They can be really helpful, but they can't compare to the person of the Holy Spirit. I, uh, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. And uh, I wasn't 
born again. I wasn't a Christian. I, I said all the right things. I went to church because my parents made me. I served in church because it was more like I was, it was better than being bored just standing there. So I was like, I might as well do something. But I, I didn't know God. But when I was 16 years old, I, I gave my life to Jesus. And that night lying in my bed at home, the Holy Spirit showed up in my bedroom. Like, I don't know how to explain this. But the Holy Spirit, like I didn't know that he paid house visits. I thought he was there in church. But like, you know, like a doctor that pays house visits, you just don't believe in it. It doesn't exist. You normally wait like 45 minutes because they're running over. If you're a doctor, don't worry. But sort out your booking schedule. Um, do you realize the Holy Spirit wants to be with you? Longs to be with you? 24-7. He wants to live within you. You see, I had experienced Christianity as this dull, dry, boring set of routines. But that night when the Holy Spirit showed up in my bedroom, I knew three things that I've known for, the, for, for ever since. Num, number one, God is real. I knew it with my whole being. Number two, I knew that He loved me. And number three, I knew that I was forgiven. Knew it with my whole being. It changed my life. Suddenly when I picked up the scriptures and I started reading, they came alive to me because the person of the Holy Spirit was teaching me the truth based on that verse, showing me the truth of who Jesus was. Suddenly when I prayed, it was electric. I would go and seek God because I would be in His presence. I remember walking to the bottom of our garden. We had this long garden early in the morning while it was still dark and just saying, God, I want to know you and the sense of the Holy Spirit. I, I preached my first sermons there before I knew God was going to call me to be a preacher because it's just what I did with truth. When God chose, that's what happens to me. But you might have a different gift. Suddenly God started speaking to me. He started showing me visions. He started giving me dreams. He started speaking to me about other people. He started empowering me. And all of a sudden, this dry faith was transformed into this living mystery of the Holy Spirit who is unseen, but a continual gift to us. Do you want him? Do you want him? He's yours. Jesus taught us, he said, you fathers, though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I've got a son. He doesn't speak much, but he communicates. I know what he wants. He normally always wants corn on the cob. He loves it. He wants food. He wants to drink whatever I'm holding. He wants to be on my lap. He pulls himself. He wants to be held. And I'm never going to give, you know, if he comes and he's hungry and he's, and he's showing me, he wants to eat, I'm never going to go, ha, he has a lump of coal. Chew on that. Daddy, daddy, I'm thirsty. Ha. He has some stale water. Drink this, my son. See how funny that is. Stop harassing me. Come on, man. You, you, as a dad, you would never do that. But so many of us, we're scared of asking God for the gift of the Holy Spirit because we think he's going to give us a lemon. We think he's going to give us something that's going to embarrass us 
make us weird? Or what's God going to do? Is he going to call me to you know, be a missionary in Siberia or to be single for the rest of my life? I don't know what's going on, what's happening. And we're scared to be vulnerable and say, God, I want the person of the Holy Spirit. And God, uh, let me tell you, it's the best part of the Christian faith. Because he's there. Jesus Christ made me righteous, but the Holy Spirit convinces me that I'm righteous. Jesus Christ tells me in the word, the, 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 the devil has been defeated and has been judged. But when I read that, I have this boldness inside of me. That's what God wants for you. A 24-7 Christmas. Person of the Holy Spirit with you every moment of every day. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much. I thank you, God, for this unseen gift of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that we get to have a relationship with him. I thank you, God, that he's with us. And Father God, I pray for every person here that they'd have a deeper encounter of the person of the Holy Spirit. If they've had a hundred encounters, give them a hundred and one. If they've had a thousand, give them a thousand and one. If they've had zero, give them their first, Father God. Let them taste and see that the Lord is good. I pray, God, for this experience of the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to end the service now, but if you're here today and you're like to receive the Holy Spirit or, or this has really spoken to you and you actually want to take a step when the service ends come to the front there'll be some people here to pray for you and for some of you I really know that God's speaking to you today it's like you, you, you've been captivated in your heart and you're going there's something here that I want if that's you come forward we'd love to pray with you otherwise thank you very much